Welcome to another edition of the False Neutral Podcast. I'm Pete. Eric and Garrett are with me as always. And uh, this is episode 115 for August of 2021. Hi, guys. How's it going? Oh, not too bad. How's it going with you? Good. Eric, what have you been up to? I spent yesterday uh, at the uh, roadkill street race on Woodward. Oh, yeah. I forgot about that. That's right in your neck of the woods. Yeah, it's literally, and I mean literally like eight miles up the street from me. Oh, very cool. Wow. How was that? It was fun. Um, I got a bunch of pictures I'm still trying to edit because, you know, I'm bad at social media and not publishing them live there. So, um, no, it was fun. It was it was good. Uh, one of my friends from high school was in it and ran. He didn't make the final show, but uh, a bunch of people that he knew were in it. And, uh, yeah, it was fun. It was a pretty good event. Cool. And yeah. so I understand you're not going to Canada? Nope. I would have been there right now had uh, had I been. So the border opened up on Monday, you know, like, uh, as in seven days ago. Um, and I got too much conflicting information about what it was going to take to come back across. And it probably wouldn't have been a problem, but I'm also not in a spot where if it became a problem, I could afford to stay there for 14 days in quarantine. So, right, right. Yeah. Yeah, uh, for sure. So I um, played it safe, I guess, turned down a reasonable amount of money and, you know, stayed at home and worked yeah. for nothing at the, at the roadkill event. So anyway, whatever. Yeah. <laughs> it's kind of how my last few weeks have gone about yeah personally and professionally so um i you know <laughs> add it to the list garrett how's your workshop redo coming along yeah well actually so you know i've been working on my my actual shop but then so as you guys know i moved into a new house um well almost a year ago now and um it just it's like a you know standard subdivision house and it's got a three car garage and and there's the kind of single car garage bay <clears throat> and I didn't really know what I wanted to do with it but now that I'm you know not living at the property where the shop is I yeah I needed a space to be able to work on stuff and so I decided I'd turn it into you know, a little workshop basically and so I brought in one of my motorcycle lifts and put that um, in the garage. And then, um, I thought, you know, I'd like to get some cabinets for the wall. And so I was actually, I was at home Depot and I was getting a few things. And my next stop was going to be going to Lowe's because Lowe's had some just cheap, unfinished Oak cabinets. You know, they're just like the ugly cabinets, but they're, you know, going to be relatively inexpensive. And, um, so before I went to Lowe's, I was like, I'm just going to swing through home Depot and just see what they have. Well, they ended up having um, basically the same cabinets, but they, they they must be discontinuing them or something uh, because they were like almost free. So like I got <laughs> basically 
an entire kitchen's worth of cabinets for $200. Wow. So like oh, wow. the, the each upper cabinet was like $27. And so I think I bought like five or not five. I bought like three, like 36 inch upper cabinets and then a bunch of lower cabinets. It all ended up being about $200 for $1,400 in cabinets. Wow. And, uh, it was funny. I like did not intend to buy. I was just going to buy like two cabinets when I went to Lowe's. But then I was at Home Depot and saw these. So I was with my two kids. They're four and six. You know, they can't help. And so I've got two carts completely loaded with cabinets. And, um, you know, like I was driving a pickup truck that like could not fit them all. So people in the parking <laughs> lot were laughing at me trying to load them all into my truck. But I was like, whatever it takes, I'm getting these home. <laughs> uh, so I got all of these cabinets, super excited about it, mounted them all in my garage. So I built, um, like an eight foot workbench, um, put a bunch of lower cabinets underneath a bunch of upper cabinets above. Um, I ended up getting a new toolbox for my house. Um, still has nothing in it because I don't want to anger the wife too much with, you know, my spending. <laughs> so, um, I'm holding off on buying a bunch of tools for the new cabinet or for the new toolbox, at least for a little bit. Um, but so now I've got like an air compressor. I've got my motorcycle lift. Um, I've got some shelving, um, some cabinets, a workbench. So I'm like pretty much set up now to be able to do some of my motorcycle stuff at home. Um, I did bring my little Z 50 home because, uh, I need to still uh, hook up the throttle cable and the front brake. Those are the two last things that I've never done to finish this little 50. So um, just those two little things. So I brought that home so I could finally get the Z50 done, finish, and, you know, move on from it. And then, you know, my son can ride it. Uh, so I got that all done. The uh, actual shop itself... Um, finished painting all the walls on the inside. I painted them all white. It was just, you know, cinder block. And um, there's, you know, it looked kind of like, it was just grungy old. So um, painted all the walls white. And then I have a bathroom in the shop. And it was just kind of like raw sheetrock. And um, I, from my friend at his work, I got some pallet wood and just basically cladded the, the bathroom that's in the corner of my shop and then stained it. So it just kind of looks like rustic wood and it actually turned out really cool. Um, and moved some equipment around like my mill and my lathe. I moved it, um, into a different spot so I could make some more floor space in there, put the steel shelves that I built up on the wall and like got a bunch of stuff up there. So now I have, I, I recovered a ton of floor space in the shop, um, which is going to be really helpful because I've got, um, like before I was really only able to work on like one motorcycle at a time. And now I have so much floor space that I can actually set up like a few projects and work on them simultaneously. Cause you know how projects go, you kind of like move from one to another as you like figure problems out and then you kind of get bored with one thing and you move to another. I have no idea what that's like now. No. Yeah. Well, <laughs> you know, well, I mean, it's like I, I'll get parts in and I'll like get to a point at a project where, you know, I'm like at a good holding space and then I'll kind of, you know, want to move to another one. Well, now I can have them just kind of set up. And, and I think that I'll be able to be a little bit more efficient at getting some of these projects done. So 
um, that and, you know, being able to work on some stuff at home now too. Um, hopefully I'll be able to, you know, get a bunch more work done. I say that, but you know, we'll see. Uh, I'm, but, I'm yeah, glad but, your, ex- I'm glad your experience with pallet wood went better than mine. I, I tried to build the, the little pallet wall, um, to go behind some outdoor furniture just to cover up kind of the house, just to give it a yeah. little different look. Yeah, that worked out well. Yeah, well, that, you went, know, that the, went as well as all my other endeavors in the past, I don't know, six months to three years. So, you know. Yeah, these these pallets, it's not like a standard like crepe pallet. What these things were actually, and they're really cool. It's almost like, um, it's like, a, a, imagine a garden planter sort of a thing. I think they're like... Um, three feet by two feet um a rectangle with like hinged corners so they actually um they can sit flat and then they kind of expand out and they stack up and so they have these little brackets attached to them and they stand and they um you can stack them on you can basically make it as high as you want and it makes a, a a box like a rectangular box so i just basically cut the hinges off each corner and so the wood's actually nice wood it's like pine um Mm. And and there's no holes, no knots. Like, I mean, there's knots, but it's not like, you know, there's no missing holes out of the wood. So it actually is like pretty nice stuff, really. And they have just, you know, piles and piles of these because they get stuff shipped into their work in these can, like, you know, wooden boxes, basically. And uh, so I just cut all the hinges off the corners. And then I had um, effectively a ton of um, two foot pine boards and a bunch of three foot pine boards. And so I just kind of inter, you know, mix them and then put some stain on. The stain that I got was I thought was going to be just like a light gray. Well, I put it on with a a paint roller and I like went on way heavier than I thought it would. So it ended up turning like kind of black in a way. It's like really dark, which is not what I wanted, but it actually it looks good. So when I when I not to go well, we're going way down a rat hole on this one, but uh, when I stained mine, it came out pretty inconsistent which you'd expect with pallet wood i got kind of like yeah. this walnut stain and uh-huh. some some of it actually looks not that bad and other parts it's kind of it darkened it a little bit the problem i guess maybe the problem was is about a day and a half after i had done it and it was sitting outside we got i don't know about three and a half inches of rain so uh, <laughs> yeah it sort of got quote unquote naturally finished or refinished yeah but, yeah so i don't know what i'm gonna do i'd probably just tear it apart and use it and build like garbage shelving shelving in my yeah. uh, in my garage or something like there that you go. Point, so p anything going on in your world well yeah, i've had a lot going on uh we uh made a trip out of town since the last podcast to visit with my parents who are in their 90s mm-hmm. uh between that and a trip to the lake we spent a couple days down at table rock lake and just got away by ourselves. So haven't had a lot of time in the workshop since our last time, but I did go ahead and crank up the little Harbor Freight Titanium 125 gasless flux core welder mm-hmm. on my on my CVT bike uh, where I had replaced the down tubes and bent those into shape. I went ahead and just used it to uh, plug weld where I had drilled holes in the frame I kind of tacked in the uh, the metal slugs on the four corners of them, and that actually worked really well. Yeah, the work looked really good. I like the pictures that you showed. That was a pretty cool little setup that you had with the frame. I'm really 
pleased with how it came out. I spent a lot of time. I first started with uh just like really cheap, you know, like one step up from conduit. And it was like 0.065 wall tubing that I bent, knowing that it was thinner than I wanted, but it was a lot easier to bend. And I did a couple of different iterations of it. After having made some mock-ups, I went ahead and, in a drafting program, actually made a full-size layout, you know, a template to lay it on and make sure that I was getting my bends correct. And I knew exactly how many degrees to bend it, and I had marked my little bender, went out and actually got the thicker stuff that I was actually going to use. The The spring back was a little different, so I had to kind of guess a little bit. But the first one came out great. I had to put it back in and do a little bit of extra tweak on one of the bends, but I, I got it right. The next one I put in, got the first bend, nailed it, got the second one, nailed it perfectly, 180 degrees in the wrong direction. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> okay, that one goes in the scrap metal bin. Yep. I did it a third time, and so I had to bend it just a little bit to get them to match. Mm-hmm. But when I did that, it wouldn't fit in. I was like, oh, man, what did I do wrong here? And then I realized I had cut the bottom frame tubes where they had like little engine mounting plates. And I just simply cut them at the end, assuming that those were symmetrical. Uh-huh. And they were just, you know, three sixteenths of an inch off. Well, all I did was reverse the two tubes, one side to the other, and they fit in perfectly. I was like, okay, th- that was just ac- accidental precision. Yeah. Accidental precision is purposeful precision. So, yeah. I, so to do the slugs... How do you fit it in when you get them, if they're flush up against the frame at the top and the bottom? So I came up with this really weird arrangement where I put a soldered a wire onto one, pushed it all the way up in the frame, and then had a hole right at where the curve was on the new section of frame so that I could push it up in there, run the wire through, put it all in place, and then yank on the wire and yank it down into place. And that worked really well. So then I haven't actually welded them to the frame yet. All I did was weld the slugs to the new sections of tubing that I had bent, but it's absolutely solid. Then I did a cross tube in there that I just used my tubing notcher that I had bought way back when, when I was doing the seat tube on Boltakenstein. I was able to use that and put in a cross tube just to kind of give some more meat to that front section. When I get all done with everything on the frame, I'm going to just take the whole thing to my local welding guy and have a professional welder actually weld everything to the frame tubes themselves and make it look nice and and make sure that I got some good solid welds. But I was really surprised. Compared with my old Clark welder, I found working with that titanium welder a thousand percent easier. Mm -hmm. There was more predictability in the speed of the the wire when it was coming out. I, I'm obviously doing something wrong with my other welder because it seems like it will stutter. And I've played with the wheel that I'm using. I've played with the diameter of the wire. I've... Have you replaced the liner and the tube, you know? It's a spool gun. Oh, okay. So I don't know why I would have a problem with it, but I've played with the tension on the, you know, the, the drum of wire, the, the tension in the tensioner, the wheel, you know, it comes with a, with a serrated wheel and a smooth wheel. So I played with that and it's got two different thicknesses if you flip the wheel over. So I've got four different options there. Everything I've done, I've never had it come out real smoothly. 
Also, since the titanium is flux core only, it doesn't have that big gash shroud. It's just this nice little pencil tip with the wire coming out of it because the, you know, obviously the flux, mm-hmm. the gases are coming out of the wire when it burns. Yeah. It's much easier to see where you're pointing the thing because you can see, even if you've got, you know, three quarters of an inch of stick out, you can see really readily. And I was using my new welding mask for the first time because I had an old one that was a Harbor Freight special that didn't have a battery in it. It was just a capacitor. Uh-huh. And I I didn't know that you have to put those out in the sunlight or under a really bright light for about 10 minutes to charge the capacitor to make them work predictably. Yeah. So I had a much nicer auto darkening lens in front of me that was much more predictable. I was like, oh, well, this is just super easy. I mean, this is this is like hot a glue gun. I can do this because I was really intimidated about welding with the other one because I was thinking I must be doing something wrong. I think it's just bad equipment. I bought it on a closeout when Clark got out of the American market. I just don't think it's a very good spool gun. Yeah. I feel better about that. So anyways, that's the only thing I got done. I did buy a couple of extra parts for it. Um, I've made up a schematic for the actual engine mount, you know, cause it's a, it's a little industrial engine. It's just got four bolts on a plate at the bottom. So it's fairly easy to mount in. It's not like a motorcycle engine where it's got mounts on the front, mounts on the back, mounts underneath, mounts on the head. They all have to line up. This is just like, you just put a plate in the right place and you bolt it down. Right. So I've got that together and I went down to metal by the foot and got both alloy and some uh, 3 16 inch steel plate that I can use to build it out of. So it, I'm, I'm making a sh- small amount of progress. The problem I have right now is with everything I've got in my little shop area, I just don't have any room to work. Mm-hmm. And so I've been kind of contemplating maybe selling off some of my parts and and getting down to the projects that I think I'll actually finish. I think the Aramaki may go away because that's if somebody wants to do something cool with Aramaki stuff, I've got a really nice frame that's now got a disc brake front end and mag wheels and disc brakes on it that are all ready to go. I just don't have an engine in it and I don't have a tank for it. So that's kind of where I got stuck. I mean, I've, I've realized I got to the point where I had to tear the Boltaco engine apart and I got into another project. And then I got to the point where I needed to tear into the Ducati motor for the Aramaki project. And mm-hmm. I stopped and found another project. So, and then the next one I picked up, I'm like, okay, I'm going to buy an engine that I don't need to get into. You know, I just picked up that industrial engine that's ready to go. It's brand new. The two things that have intimidated me through this whole thing were welding and getting into the engines. And I've rebuilt little two-stroke singles before. It's been many, many, many years. And I always felt like I was kind of lucky when I got all done that they ran. You know, it's like, it's like, oh, okay. I, I didn't screw that up too badly. So, so yeah, I'm uh, just. So Pete, the, uh, the titanium welder that you got was that one that, uh, former guest of the show, Mike Festiva, recommended on his YouTube channel. By the way, go back to episode number 111 if you want to see and hear from him. Yes, exactly. And I bought it strictly based on his recommendation from his YouTube review of it. And it was on sale at the time 
that I bought it, I got it for under $200 out the door. Oh, jeez. Wow. So it wow. was like, I think it was like a hundred. I mean, that's worth a gamble any day. Yeah, it was like yeah. 100, 179 plus tax, I think, is what I ended up getting it for. And, and you don't have to add right? any peripherals. I mean, you have everything you need out of the box, right? You don't, I mean, because right. it's not like you need a tank or anything. Exactly. And it doesn't weigh anything and it plugs into 110. Wow. I was I was very pleased with it. I bought, um, I think it's Blue Demon welding wire. And before I did anything on the bike, I just got a big plate, cranked it up all the way. And I didn't get a lot of spatter. I didn't get a whole lot of little pills getting stuck to it all over the place. It laid down a pretty nice, smooth bead. I realized that at the very end, when you pull the trigger off, you get a little bit of undercut. You can't do that little bit where you add a little bit at the end because you don't have any control over that. And you can't keep the gas going after you stop because it's flux core. So you're kind of stuck with what it gives you. But what it gives you is not bad. And you can definitely stick some metal together if you're smart about how you you know, the configuration of how you do it. So you're not trying to just do a butt weld between stuff and trust in the weld. Like with me doing a plug weld, you're filling a hole. If you get a little porosity in there or something, you're, you're basically just, you know, putting an eighth inch slug of metal in there. And if you overfill it and you sand it down, which is what I did, I got that nice little tubing sander that I bought that you just kind of go and it all smooths off nice and it looks pretty. So yeah, it relieved my, my hesitation about doing tack welding. Cause I, after I got done with that, I'm like, well, I'm going to tack weld in this little cross piece in here. And I just shot it, you know, two places on each side. So it's not in there like it needs to be, but it certainly isn't going to go anywhere while I'm fabricating my engine mount. So I'm, I was remarkably pleased with how well that worked. Very cool. cool. Awesome. We'll move on then, because uh, I assume nothing's happened with the XS400. I hate to do this to you every month, but I also don't want to just ignore it. So, Let's just say, going on what I was saying, the last month to six weeks, the way things have been gone for me, if I were to touch that thing, I'm sure it would be a thousand times worse. Just the, <laughs> just the way things are going, I'm not going to attempt fate at this point. So, And you haven't bought a Tuono or anything uh no <laughs> i will off the air happy to tell you that story of why that may never i may never be able to buy anything ever again so oh my Uh-oh. okay it's not one of that kind of bad thing it's sort of a anyways well then uh we will move on we have been requested to bring back what's the ask by popular demand And by popular demand, I mean one of my co-hosts asked me to do it. (laughs) (laughs) For this episode of What's the Ask, I have selected five different motorcycles. In the past, we've done parts and bikes and stuff. But this time, I, I, I focused on five motorcycles, all with titles, and uh, I went to five different outlets. I went to Rumble On, Craigslist, eBay, Facebook Marketplace, and Cycle Trader. So from five different markets, I have five different bikes. And are these private party or dealer? Uh three of them are individuals, two of them are dealers, and I'll tell you which are which. Okay. And I'm I'm 
posting pictures of these in our chat as we're looking at it. If you, the listener, want to look at what we're looking at, go to hooniverse.com. Uh, scroll to the bottom where it says podcast and you can click on a link that will take you to pictures of all of these bikes and you can play along with us if you want to. So pause the podcast now, if you want to play along, uh, the first one is from rumbleon.com and it is a 1975 Condor a350. And if you're unfamiliar with this, this is a Swiss company that built motorcycles under contract to the Swiss military. So the Swiss army, this is literally a Swiss army bike. (laughs) They sourced their engines from Ducati. So this is a Ducati 350 single. It's not something built under license like the Mototrons Ducatis from Spain and stuff like this. This is literally a Ducati engine built by Ducati on Ducati tooling. And it's pretty much a standard 350 non-Desmo, they did, I think they had a milder cam than what Ducati sold, and I think they had lower compression so they could run them on whatever gas they could find on a battlefield. And they were more interested in reliability than speed anyway, so I think it's a, a, a milder state of tune, but it is an authentic Ducati 350 uh, bevel cam engine in probably the most robust agricultural frame you could imagine. Uh, and it's got, uh, the factory panniers on it. This one has 3,875 miles. It's by an individual seller located in Central City, Colorado. The notes on it from the ad are, oh, I'm sorry, 3,875 kilometers. So okay. take three fifths okay. of that for the mileage. So very low mileage. Uh, military model A350 Condor. Saddlebags, 350 single-cylinder OHC single, five-speed, great condition, Swiss Army vehicle. What's the ask? Uh, I'm going to toss it to Eric first. This is going to be the really cheap or really expensive, and being Swiss, I'll be go really expensive. And I will say $9,500. Okay. Uh, Garrett, what's your guess? Now, granted, I don't know anything about these motorcycles. I'm I'm going with twenty five hundred. Okay. Oh, and we need to establish: Are we doing strictly closest wins, or are we doing prices right rules where it's the closest without going closest over? Closest wins. No, okay. Closest wins. Okay. Well, then you get it because the asking price on this is two thousand dollars. Two thousand wow. dollars. I was interesting. I was. Yeah, I'm like. Oh, book me a flight to Colorado. Or let's so can you sell trailer. all of your all the parts of all your projects and it just pays for that? <laughs> and, and, and so this has a title. So this is like street legal. Oh, yeah. And, oh, yeah. Uh, interesting. Interesting. Uh, what is it like a, a military color? Does it look like an agricultural bike? Like, I mean, yes. is it like, you know, matte green and uh, it's uh, dog poop brown. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So, so you could make it all tactical and like put weight <laughs> on it. That'd probably yeah, maybe, up the value at uh, you know a good couple thousand bucks. It's like a Ducati and a KLR had a child. Ooh, can you get Magpul like to sponsor you on this one? <laughs> there you go. There you go. I, I do like, like the. I, I, is that a a white wrap on, on the exhaust, or is that just? I. I think it's actually the like coating, some kind of white coating, white paint, 
I think it may have been like stainless steel or something that they they got nasty and coated. I I would have to go look at other pictures of them to find out whether that's the OE finish on it or whether that's because that may be some kind of high heat coating or something to keep it from yeah. you know uh, burning the fields if you're if you're parked in and, a field somewhere. And and I do like the way they took a furniture dolly and repurposed it into a <laughs> center stand lift. Yeah, <laughs> I mean that is very military. So <laughs> yeah. And 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 the and the paint does match that Indian behind it in his garage. I didn't close see to the it anyway. Behind it. So Pete, I guess you already said this. You think it's a great value at two thousand? I I was really amazed that it is as low as it is. But yes, yes. Um, now the condition may not be as represented, but we have to go for right. for, for these purposes. We have to go with what we see in the ad. So. Uh, I would definitely give that a thumbs up for two for two grand. Okay, we'll move on to number two. This one is from Craigslist. This is a 1985 Suzuki oh. RG500 Gamma oh. with 853 miles on it, and this is in Menlo Park. California in between uh, San Francisco and San Luis Obispo. So this is in a pretty. This is in the, the heart of Silicon Valley. Yes. So the ad reads, this is extremely nice and very rare. 1985 RG 500 Gamma Canadian spec one owner, only 853 miles from new California registered currently non-op. This bike was imported from Canada when new Sold by me to a gentleman in Palo Alto, California, ridden one season, 1985, put away for the winter, and never ridden again. Sadly, the owner had passed away. This is as close to a brand new RG500 as you're going to find anywhere in the world. Perfect condition, freshly serviced, all fluids changed and tuned. Everything on this bike is original and as delivered. Must see to believe, no trades, no tire kickers, and no, I don't need help selling it. Serious buyers only need reply. I thought that you said non-operable no it it in california you can save on taxes if you register it as a non-operating in other words you're you're paying oh. your taxes on it but you're not paying the road fees on it got it not currently on the road but california registered okay okay and garrett why don't you take this one first <sighs> that is a desirable two-stroke and in exceptional condition, I'm gonna go. I'm gonna go. Um, basically, ten thousand dollars on that. Heard a little snicker from Eric. Eric, what's the ask? Wait, wait. Did, I'm sorry. Did you say you were you ten thousand? Yeah. Okay. <laughs> yes. All right. So. Pre-COVID, I would this bike was probably going to be worth twenty six grand. Really? In the middle of COVID or where we are in COVID, I would go to thirty to thirty five. The fact that it's in Silicon Valley, I'm going to throw another premium on there. I'm going to go forty two five. Ooh. Because well, you got to remember how many billionaires are in Silicon Valley That's right true. now. So, That's true. So they'll be asking really stupid money for it. So yeah, forty two five. You are five hundred dollars low. 
$43,000 is the ask. Nice job, Eric. I didn't know our RG500s were worth that much. Yeah, they're, they're, they've been, they've been worth, they've always been worth a little more than RZs, um, just because they're a little rarer. Uh, and and for whatever reason, a little more desirable. Well, not. But for, do the, they the, have the? That, there that are. Same... I think there are more Suzuki fanboys that are yes brand loyal than there is Yamaha people. Really? Yeah. yeah. And oh, and I this was. I mean, le- legitimately, this probably would have been a twenty to twenty five thousand dollar bike pre COVID. But given it's rare, it's this thing is immaculate looking. Um, and I would, I would bet that this thing as is advertised being where it is. Um, yeah, it's just the, and the, you know, some premiums on it. Yeah, absolutely. Oh, all right. All right. Okay. So, uh, I, I wouldn't give it a thumbs up at $43,000, no, no. <laughs> but I know a lot of people probably would. So people who have a yeah. whole lot more money than I do. Yeah, that's fair. This next one. I'm pushing the definition of a motorcycle with this one. Oh, boy. Vanderhall or Vandersteen or whatever no. that thing is. <laughs> okay. This is from eBay. Oh. <laughs> this is okay. frame uh, matching number crankcases and a title to a 1973 Norton Commando 850. This is from a dealer, a, a salvage dealer in Appleton, Wisconsin. Uh, the ad reads frame cases entitled removed from a 1973 Norton commando 850, very early 850. Nice setup. Cases look good. Frame has minor dents on the down tubes. Wisconsin residents will have titles processed by the Wisconsin DMV. Out of state buyers will have title assigned to them and mailed to them to take to their local DMV for transfer. What's the ask? And we're back to you, Eric. Well, this is a this is the type of project where it'll cost you three times as much to assemble as it would just to buy it <laughs> completed. Uh, I'm trying to think what an A50 Commando goes for these days. I'm thinking like ten, twelve, so eighteen hundred dollars. Garrett, what's the ask? This is way out of my wheelhouse. Um, <laughs> so this is a, a frame engine. It, not uh, even the engines, just the. The cases, yeah, if and the frame. Oh gosh, I mean, yeah. what would I really give but them for it? About five hundred bucks, is, but <laughs> yeah, but this is a salvage place. They probably think it's super special. I will. So I will I'm tell you, go... this is the same place that I bought uh, the KTM frame that I just purchased. Okay, okay. Um, I'm gonna say two thousand dollars. Okay. <laughs> Eric, you said eighteen hundred. Yes, seventeen ninety nine. You're a wow. dollar off. <laughs> so, so I honestly have not looked at these. These are just two. <laughs> well, obviously, based off the first one, I haven't looked so, up any of these things. So, so basically, you can get an entire running Condor three fifty for two hundred dollars more than just the frame and crankcases. Of a Norton 850. I've, I found that fairly fascinating. Yeah. Well, then I, I yeah, have to know I... what a, what a Norton 850 fully assembled and running it, um, would, would be worth. I think a lot of that's going to depend on the individual model. Uh, True. 
I know high risers used to be really cheap. Now they're really expensive. Uh, production racers have gotten ridiculous. I think interstates go for less than the, the roadster. Uh, wow. That was a really good guess. I said yeah. about 12,000 and there's two here on cycle trader, one for 12 grand for just a regular 850 and then 8995 for an interstate. Okay. Well, there you go. Mm. So All you'd right. be cheaper, you'd be better off just buying a completed bike. Yeah, without question. Yeah, definitely. Well, I I think this is for somebody who has a 850 with a questionable history that yeah. they can't register and they just want the magic numbers and title for their what their daddy stole in 1981. <laughs> yeah, 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 that and like in some states, it's like like almost impossible to register or title a vehicle if you don't have all the proper paperwork, like California and some or of these other uptight Missouri. states. Yeah, yeah. So, so, and you know, it might just be easier to swap components over, and then you can just you know have every, if you already have all the parts, you just need a basically a legal bin. Right. Yeah. Exactly. Title, That's true. So. I, I, this Fair this point. is this is one step away from from uh, VIN tampering. So. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It's like the legal version of Vintam. Exactly. But I don't even know if, like, it's probably, you know, maybe a little debatable. So, okay. Uh, next up, our fourth one is, I'll send the picture to you guys to see. This is a 2004 Ducati Multistrada with mm. 62,000 miles on it from Facebook Ooh. Marketplace. This is in Logansport, Indiana, by an individual. Uh, the ad simply says, 2014 Multistrada that has been meticulously kept. Three riding modes, runs and rides as it should. No leaks. You said 2014 or 2004? 2014. Sorry, I may have misspoke the first time. 2014 Multistrada with 62,000 miles? Yes. Wow. That person rides a motorcycle. Um, is this me first? Um, yes. Yeah. We're back to you. Okay. Full full beak mode multistrata. Beak, yeah. Didn't they call it the beak strata or something? Wasn't that the name for that joke yeah. name for it? I I really like multistratas. Um, it's got a lot of miles on it. Uh, a whole lot of miles on it. A whole lot of miles on it. But if it's been I'm, meticulously kept and it's a water cooled bike, yeah, you know exactly. Yeah. I'd, I'd rather have a fourteen, a 2014 motorcycle with that kind of miles versus a 2014 with, say, 6,400 miles. You know, it means it was Especially actually, if, it, if it was parked outside and it's got a rusty yeah. chain and everything. Well, and I'll just throw this, like, the BMW LT 1300s that I was looking at. You know, like, they can have issues. And I was actually, like, a lot more comfortable buying a higher mileage uh, mm-hmm. you know, tuna cruiser, BMW motorcycle versus, uh, you know, one with low mileage. Cause you know, a higher mileage one, the, the, a person has done effort to make it go those miles. Right. right. And I think that says something. Um, I don't really know what these go for new, but I'm guessing somewhere in the twenties. Um, so with this kind of mileage, I'm going to say, gosh, I'm going to say, mm, Ninety-five hundred. Eric, 
Um, I seem to have recalled doing a quick search the other day for Ducatis and seeing one of these about that vintage, not quite that many miles. Eight nine nine five. The ask is sixty two hundred dollars. Mm. Wow, that seems like a pretty decent buy, actually. I'm not sure I would be in the market for uh, a bike with sixty two thousand miles on it, but for the money. For the money. And given that if you're going to make a Ducati go 62,000 miles, you are going to meticulously keep it. So especially if this guy rode that many miles since 2014, he's probably a very serious, conscientious owner. I don't think that's a bad price. I would would give it thumbs up at that price. Did sorry? Did he say anything about recent service for like uh the cam belt and and valve adjustments? No, it just says meticulously kept. Yeah, uh, runs and rides I, as it should. No leaks. If, if if it had a recent valve adjustment and a recent cam cam belt, yeah, yeah, sure. for sure. Yeah, yep. and you know if you could get seventy five hundred to ten thousand miles out of it, I think you know it would have paid for itself effectively you know 60 something hundred dollars um yeah i mean i think that that's i think that's actually a pretty fair price i expected more okay obviously and we have our final one here and this one is a bit interesting Mm -hmm. this is a dealer sold bike in the ad it says 1976 suzuki gt750 However, it is clearly a 1973 from the uh, from the appearance, the paint job, the specs of the engine, the wheels, etc. This is absolutely so is it blue, blue and white, or yep. is it blue? Can you not see our pictures? Um, I'm just yeah, it's hard for me to switch over to it, so okay. I'm just going okay. freestyle here. Yeah, if you want to go this see it, it, it's local to you. Oh, yeah, yeah. It's in Hillsboro, Oregon. Oregon. Come on, P. Oregon. Oregon. You're, you're going to offend people here. <laughs> um, <laughs> uh, the same dealership that we were discussing that has a, what was it, like a 2014 or 2015 ATV still on the MSO unsold? Oh, yeah, yeah. So, so, oh, yeah, uh, Motorsport Hillsboro. Yeah. yeah, Motorsport Hillsboro. Which it, yep. uh, so, anyways, the ad says 1976. It's clearly not. It says 10,000 miles. The odometer says 5,688. So, it, I, I, I think they had a really lazy staff person putting the ad out who just wagged a bunch of stuff. So I don't know if it's 5,000. I don't know if it's 10,000. I don't know if it's 105,000. It looks very clean. It looks like a 5,000 mm-hmm. mile motorcycle. There is no notes on it. That's what was in the ad. It's from Cycle Trailer. It says 76, wrong. Suzuki GT750, 10,000 miles from Motorsport Hillsboro in Oregon. So, Eric, we go to you first on this one. It's pretty. It's somewhat desirable, and it's at a dealership, so we got to go high. Mm. Oh, and Garrett, this does have all original pipes, the original. Uh, yeah, uh, f- I, I I just looked at the picture. Okay, 
And it looks like the tires are like, and you know, like they've got tread on them. They look look like a little bit newer style tires. So, mm-hmm. you know, maybe it was on the road at some point, you know, and then the not too far past. So, <sighs> all right, I'm gonna throw a dart at the board and just say nine grand. Okay, which I think is high for that, but yeah, it's um. It's not one of the like the first water buffaloes, but it's still um, I think that that's still considered like the sort of well, I suppose it's like they go Mark one, Mark two, Mark three. That's this is the second year. Yeah. The first year was the drum break version that was in uh, the teal or pink color. Right. Then this is the the year after that. And they they had. 72, 73, then 74 is where they restyled them to look like uh, the rest of the GT and GS line. And right. they have liquid cooling embossed in the uh, cylinder head. So this is – oh, and a different exhaust without the little uh, black caps. Yeah. You know, I have a 73 um, blue and white just like this one, and it has liquid cooling embossed into the cylinder. You probably have a later cylinder head then. Yeah, I must. Interesting. Um, I am going to guess that this was um, probably a trade-in, and they're probably trying to get rid of it without doing work to it. They probably don't really, like, you know, haven't gone through anything. So it's, you know, I'm going to assume that maybe it starts, but it's not, like, ready to go. So I'm going to say $6,900. And... Eric, what was your guess? Nine grand. Ninety-eight ninety-nine. Oh my gosh! I knew well. Mind. <laughs> I, I, I like I said, it was it's at a dealer. So yeah, yeah. And also, I've noticed just in the last nine to twelve months that Suzuki two strokes are going up rapidly. Yeah, I have grossly underestimated <laughs> values of Suzuki's today. Uh, I, I was surprised that even at a dealer's, they were asking that. But I have to say, as far as Suzuki two strokes, the GT750 is the most desirable one. This is a, it's, it's not quite the drum brake model that either people right. either want the 72 or they want like the 75, 76 with the hotter porting. So this one's kind of not either one, but it's a very clean, attractive motorcycle. Mm-hmm. Yeah. There, there was a, GT 550 for sale locally to me. Maybe I'll do this as a, as a sixth one if I can find it. Yeah, I'm going to go ahead and pull this picture down real quickly. And I'm very quickly putting together a sixth entry into our little competition here. This is from Facebook Marketplace locally to me in Kansas City. This is a 74 Suzuki GT 550 with 15,500 miles on it. Uh, seller's description is 1974 GT 550 Indy, all original, great condition, oil injection, three-cylinder, two-cycle, electric start. Just installed new battery, chain, and front sprocket this season. Love this bike, but I don't ride as much as I used to. From the detail pictures, it uh, definitely has a little bit of patina to it. The carbs have some fuel varnish on the outside. Some of the clamps are a little bit tarnished. 
the gauges have a little bit of that powdery look to the plastic around the gauges. Mm-hmm. Uh, some of the washers and stuff look like they're rusty. But overall, it does look very attractive. Uh, and it's all there. And, and it doesn't look like any, anything's amiss with it. Uh, what do you think the ask is? Garrett, we'll start with you. Is it me? Um, so, yeah, uh, you know, it sounds like it's in good running and riding shape. Just has some, you know, wear from use. I'm going to say, and gosh, you know, it's probably worth $100,000 right rate I'm going. Um, $7,500. Okay. Um, is that considered a teal color? I can't. It's a blue, but well, I just, it's, like actually, the blue. it's actually kind of a, a seafoam green color with gold okay. stripes on. I guess like it was like a brown copper kind of. Thing. I, I like. I mean, it's. I'm not much on some of the '70s color combinations, but I like this one. Um, yeah, nice patina. I'm going to come in at fifty-five hundred on the money. <laughs> <laughs> Dang. I have to say, Eric, you have clearly dominated yes. what's the ask this this go around. Very impressive. The so sad thing I, is, it's not like I spend all day looking at ads. I mean, I'd like. Are you glance sure, at Eric? Like, yes. No, I, I, I purposely make sure that I look I don't spend my time looking at ads because I, I just get depressed. Um, right. But I did look at, I mean, I think I linked last week, I looked at them the first time in like a month or two. So, but yeah, got got calls on a lot of stuff. Since Eric is the victor and Pete hasn't gone yet, that means that next time I'll be picking the motorcycles and it'll be Pete versus. Ooh, okay. Yeah, because I've I've always been hosting this. I didn't think about that. So, okay. So next time I'm picking the motorcycles, I'll pick, I'll pick six again. Okay, sure. And we'll have a showdown versus pete and eric Very so good. what i'm gonna have to do is mix up you know the japanese two-stroke stuff with some of the british stuff so we can sort of balance out the expertise okay very good yeah i like it okay i like it well uh thank you for joining us again uh, if you want to see pictures of all these bikes including the last one i just talked about i will make sure that they're all available on hooniverse when this goes live actually this goes live uh, at like 3 a.m. And the Hooniverse post goes live at like, I think it's 8 o'clock on the West Coast. So if if I can throw in just a quick plug, uh, my first four articles for the drive.com are, well, two of them are up. Oh, yeah. And I think two of them are supposed to, next couple are coming out over the next couple of weeks. Um, no, they're not car reviews. They're actually, two of them are multi-tool reviews and two of them are portable air uh, I hate to call them air compressors, but they are just for like filling your tires and stuff like that. So uh, go to the drive.com, go to guides and gear, and you should see them in there. Very good. Oh. You're welcome to connect with us on Facebook. Uh, just search for the false neutral universe as always. And uh, we haven't done anything, I think, with any of our like Instagram or anything in quite a while. No, I'll work on that. I need to put on some of my shop updates because I've done a lot of work over there. So, Very good. Until next month, we'll see you all then. Take it easy, ride safe, and we'll all be back for the next episode. Thanks for listening. Bye-bye. <laughs>